politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It is the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. Stay tuned as we explore consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. And good afternoon. This is the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm your host, Michael Benner. This is a program heard every Tuesday afternoon at 1 o'clock on KPFK throughout Southern California from Santa Barbara to San Diego and also podcast for the world at kpfk.org, kpfk.org. A program about consciousness, about self-awareness, self-improvement, and today about the nature of the self. What does it mean? It's one of those things that most people never consider throughout their entire lives. What is this essence that we call the self? Myself, me, or I. I am this. I feel this way. I think. And who is I, after all? This is a question most people don't consider because it's just so terrifying. And a lot of folks would reject that if I said it to them face to face. No, I'm not afraid of discovering who I am. I'm just not interested. I'll give you some proof that we don't know who we are. Most of us, anyway, continue to divide the world into good people and bad people. Who is this other that we're always concerned with? And that leaves the question of who is us, right? Sort of an awkward statement grammatically, who are us, (laughs) who is we, and who are them? It may be mostly unconscious, but there's high anxiety about discovering the truth of who we are. And some might consider it to be good news, others bad news, that as our guest today will explain, at least in her belief system, and one that I pretty much share as well, we're really mistaken when we even use the word self. It's paradoxical that we live in a universe, a single thing spinning around, and yet like a tree with many branches, there is this diversity of forms. We live in what appear to be separate bodies in the world of separated forms, and so everything is separated into good and bad, into right or wrong, And we don't think very much about the middle, about the intersection, about the both. Well, maybe we're good and bad. Maybe there's light and shadow in every single one of us. And the highest saint is capable of immoral or unethical behavior. And conversely, the most malevolent and evil person in the world has some goodness in there somewhere. I think it's a big mistake to bifurcate the world into us and them. Uh, Basically, it's known as the subject-object split, and it comes out of binary thinking, which is a curse, a pox on humanity, if you will, to think in terms of either or, all or nothing, this or that. And if it's this, it can't be that. And if it's that, it's certainly not this. So let's play around a little bit with this idea of 
not really understanding who the self is. Most of us presume that there is a central self, a kind of a person in charge, a CEO in our brains, this unified me that expresses will or willpower and makes our decisions for us. But I would argue if that's the case, then why do we argue with ourselves? Why do we feel ambivalent or even confused with one voice in your head saying, yeah, go ahead and do that. You really should. It's in your best interest. And another voice, somewhat more fearfully saying, I don't know. I think that's risky. That's a bad idea. And maybe a third voice that is somewhat different from either of the first two or a fourth or a fifth. And then all these voices are competing for your attention in your head. And you might utter to a friend, I just don't know what to make of it. I don't know what to think. As if you are this unified sense of being, this self. And you're not. There are, first of all, multiple streams of influence that we need to be aware of. There are biological drives and urges on the most fundamental level, bubbling up from the unconscious mind, demanding certain behavior. The strongest of them are survival-oriented food, for example. Why does my mind turn to food? Here I am busy working on something else, and suddenly I think about eating. And if you ask yourself, well, am I really hungry? Perhaps you're not. Have I had enough to sustain me today? Well, probably, yeah. And what attracted your attention to hunger? Well, it's a biological drive. It's an impulse. You may say, well, because I feel hungry. Well, do you really? Is it physical hunger? Or is it emotional hunger? Are you feeding a hungry heart? Are you feeding your loneliness, your sadness and depression? Are you feeding your boredom? And are we self-aware enough to ask ourselves that question? Thoughts of sex. For the purpose of procreation is a biological drive, but there's also just the, the lust and the love of sexuality and romance, pleasant, wonderful feelings that sweep us away. And again, our attention can be pulled from what we intend to do to food or sex or another biological drive is just to be ordered and organized. And we have this perpetual to-do list that is never finished. And often thoughts of errands or tasks that I need to accomplish never really managed to fully complete will distract our attention, pull us away from what we intend to be doing to thoughts of, God, I got to change the oil in my car. I still haven't done that. And gee, tax day is coming up and uh, any one of a number of, uh, of distractions. But you didn't think those things up. The me in you, the I, the self, didn't make a decision to think of these distractions. It's as if the brain or the unconscious mind has its own agenda. Indeed, it seems to. There are other streams of influence. There's habitual behavior. There's so-called values and ethics based to a large degree on what you've been exposed to. I remember in my early days of doing talk radio in the, in the 70s and 80s, 
uh, an issue like uh, war and peace or, uh, or, I don't know, capital punishment, let's say. And somebody would call up and they would vehemently support the idea of capital punishment. The state has to kill bad people who've killed other people to prove that killing is wrong. And that just seemed totally illogical to me. And so I would push back and often get to a place where I'd say, why do you believe that? Why do you believe what you believe? And more often than not, I would get a response along the lines of, well, everybody knows capital punishment is a deterrent. And I'd have to say, well, as a matter of fact, everybody does not know that. There's actually quite a bit of evidence that indicates that it is not a deterrent, that most capital crimes, murder, results from spontaneous behavior. It's not even a decision. And there again, why was the murder committed? What impulse, what out-of-control rage if no decision was made, no intention if there was no plan? So if we have all these voices, all these ideas competing for our attention, demanding our attention, often arguing with each other, yes, you should, no, you shouldn't, yes, I will, no, I won't, then why do we continue to believe the idea there's just one of us in our head? And our guest today, Aisha Hogan, is going to talk more about this sense of self. Who is saying, yes, I am? Or what does it mean to say, I am that? When we say that one, do we mean this one or that one? Or the only one? One is a whole thing. One is completion, is holism, as opposed to this one, but not that one. I mean, our language is even confusing. And before I bring Aishan, let me share with you another example of this conundrum. This is a little enigma, a bit of a riddle that I often share with my students in classrooms and my private clients as well. I'll write on a piece of paper or have them write down on a sheet of paper. I can hear the voice in my head reading this sentence. And then I ask them quietly, silently to yourself, Read that over three times, and I'll wait while they silently read. I can hear the voice in my head reading this sentence. I can hear the voice in my head reading this sentence. And then a third time, and then I say, so, are you the voice in your head? Ninety percent of people say, well, of course, obviously, I can hear it. So I'm the voice that's reading the sentence. That's who I am, this voice in my head. I say, if you are the voice in your head, the object of this sentence, I can hear this voice in my head, then who is I can hear? If you're the voice, who's listening? And sometimes people, so confounded are they by this, that they will say, well, I'm both. I'm the speaker and the listener. Really? Maybe you have to sit with that for a while to figure it out, but you can't be the speaker and the listener at the same time. Somebody's speaking, somebody's listening. And if you're the voice in your head, you're not the listener. And this is the secret of non-attachment. To understand from a place that transcends the separate self that you are not what you think, though you have thoughts. You are not what you feel, though you 
have feelings. You are not your behavior, though some behavior is reflexive and some intentional. You are the awareness of those things, and yet most of us are not aware of being aware. This is called metacognition. Sometimes it's defined as thinking about thinking, but a better definition is to be aware of being aware. I can think with varying degrees of awareness of my thinking, but most of my thinking I'm not very aware of. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know why I believe what I believe. Same with feelings. When I feel angry, I am an angry person. And how aware am I of the fact that there is hurt in that anger. There is sadness in that anger. There is fear in that anger. There is confusion and uncertainty in that anger. There's all those feelings. Most of us are not aware of that. So to be aware of who you really are is really a transcendence of the idea of self as a separate being. Now, I'm sure for some of you, you know this material. Many of you, this is a little confusing. That's why I'm bringing in an expert. So <laughs> stay with us through this very short break, and I'll introduce you to Aisha Hogan, who uh, will discuss this topic in, I think, some really fascinating ways. So stay with us. You're listening to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School on KPFK. I'm Michael Benner, and we'll be right back after this. The Car Show has aired on KPFK since 1973. And perhaps you have a car that's been sitting in your driveway since 1973. Or 1993. Or maybe you're still driving it, but it's time to say goodbye. Get rid of that thing and help KPFK at the same time. Your donation of your old car gets it out of your life and helps KPFK as a tax-deductible donation. And not just cars. Trucks, boats, and motorcycles are also welcome. It's easy. Just call 877-KPFK-AUTO and we'll handle all the details. Let your old car help KPFK. My guest today in the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School here on KPFK is Aisha Hogan. She's from Ontario. And uh, we're going to talk today about identity, really, who we are, uh, what we're for, why we're here, that kind of stuff. Probably the most terrifying set of questions anybody can confront. Oddly, we may not even be aware of how frightening it is to consider who we are, both as unique individuals and yet part of the whole thing, the whole shebang. How could that be? Seems like a contradiction. Well, it is paradoxical, but it can be resolved, and Aisha's going to help us do that today. She is a hypnotherapist, but brings in a number of allied practices in her private work. And she also has a project we're going to talk about later in the show, an online academy of teachers from all over the world. We'll chat a little bit about that too. So first of all, welcome to the Ageless Wisdom. Aisha, nice to have you with us today. Thrilled to be here, Michael. Thrilled to be here. How's the weather in Ontario this winter? You know what? It's like a couple of days ago, I had about two feet of snow on my lawn, and I woke up in the morning. I went to bed with two feet of snow on my lawn and woke up in the morning, and it was gone. There was only grass, and it was a nice warm day. Today's kind of cold. It's been a little bitter today, but no no snow, which is really nice. And I live in the middle of the snow belt, so it's nice that there's no snow, that it's gone. 
I remember I, growing up in Michigan, Ontario was a neighbor. So we would often visit. And in those days, it was easy to go back and forth over the border. Yeah, I miss that. I have some friends yeah. in Michigan that I used to go to once a month, and I haven't been able to go for quite some time now. Yeah. Well, hopefully that'll get better. We're hoping for everything to get better. Are you feeling <laughs> safe from COVID? Oh, I'm completely safe from COVID, just simply because I know I won't catch it. It's, it's, a, it's a way of knowing. You know, people live in that. You said an interesting word earlier. We can talk about that was hope. And I don't really live in the land of hope because hope is, to me, it's it's not a committed word. It's a hope. It's a wish. It's not, it's, you're not committing to that. And I've committed to never catching COVID. I've committed to knowing that my immunity is 100% plus and that if I walked into a room full of people with COVID, I would never catch it. So I know that to be true, which is kind of an interesting feeling. It's a feeling, but it's also a mindset. Yeah. And yet, uh, I bet you're not foolish or reckless about it either. No, no. I mean, I still do all of the things, that the precautionary things I have to do. I go out in public. I put on my mask. I do that, not just for myself, but for others, you know, so that they feel safe to to be around me. And, um, you know, when people come into my clinic or whatever, when they're allowed to, um, absolutely. But, you know, t- to me, it's because I know You know, I'm back into that knowing, that remembering that we're going to be talking about today. If we really put our minds to it, and here's something I'm just going to throw out there right away off the bat. If we all actually put our minds to it, we could get rid of COVID on our own. We wouldn't even need a vaccine. We'd have to get a a different program to devote it to that. (laughs) But uh, the whole idea of healing through consciousness is something we have talked about in the past, And we'll touch on today because this idea of identity requires us to consider that while it's true that in form we are unique individuals, we have uh, some fingerprint evidence and DNA proof of our individuality. We are enriched by our diversity as a species. And yet it appears that we're all part of one thing. Mm -hmm. In fact, the uh, ancient Egyptians, their hermetic philosophy refers to divinity as the one thing or the one life. So how do we resolve this apparent conflict? Am I part of a universe, one thing spinning around? Or am I an individual? Or if both, how do we resolve that paradox? Well, I think it's the, the term that sort of I want is I want to throw out to people is the word remembering. Before we enter this experience, and I call, I call our body this vehicle that we're in. It's an experience. It's like a, it's like a finger off a hand. And each one of us is connected to the whole, the universe. Call it God, call it Allah, Buddha, Uncle Bob. I don't, I don't really think that, you know, it matters, but for, for today, we'll just call it source. And we're all connected to this source that created everything, not just on this planet, but everywhere. And each one of us is an experience of. And what the life that we're living is a journey. And it, it becomes part of not understanding that, but 
remembering that because we already know that innately we know that if we allow ourselves to open up we know that we knew it before we entered this experience we'll know it when we leave this experience you know hence you know a lot of people when they go and to someone's funeral they'll see them at a wake and they always have that sardonic grin that all-knowing grin on their face and it's that they know they remember fully they remember and I think we're moving into a time now where that remembrance is important. The experience is still so important. I'm not saying that we're going to all become like this, you know, like the Borg off Star Trek, but it's definitely going to be, it's an experience. We're here to grow. We're here to learn. We're here to have different information and different experiences. And for, and what that, those experiences do is they actually that's what expands the universe as it feeds into that collective consciousness. All of the information that's being fed from all these different experiences is what is expanding the universe. When I reflect on the nature of intuition mm-hmm. and its complete absence in our school system, right? I'm often intrigued by it because I've learned so much in a non-logical way in my life. And I don't mean illogical. When you get an intuitive realization, it's usually very logical, but you did not arrive at it through logic. Right. It was revealed intuitively. And you're right. It does feel so often like remembering. Like one time I knew that. Yeah. Or it's a degree of, is there such a word as apparency? (laughs) (laughs) It, it, It just becomes so obvious, these little epiphanies, these realizations, provided we learn to sit quietly, still the body, quiet the mental and emotional nature. It seems that's when the curtain gets pulled back. It's, you know, in our language, in English or any other language, the very first thing that happens is, you know, we learn our pronouns, you know, I, she, he, we, you, and immediately we're taught separation. And when, what I've been challenging myself with lately is in the things that are the writings that I do, it's to take away the pronouns. And when you remove the pronouns, the only thing you are left with is connectedness. There is no separation because when you think of we, it's a, it's a still a separation of eyes. And when we talk, it's, it's still a collection of eyes. So when we talk about when people use uh, affirmations, for instance, and there'll be, I am this and I want abundance and I am this and I am that they're still talking about themselves. It's very rare that they are actually thinking of themselves as the source. I as universal. I, and the intro, I'm going to take that one step further and say, if you knew yourself as source, you wouldn't even have to say those things because I don't walk around saying I have two feet. I have two arms. If you thought of yourself as source, if you knew that you were already that, you wouldn't have to ask for those things. You're already connected to those things. Yeah, I think that uh, as we realize this, we also begin to realize, Aisha, that there's something about living in this world that is so contradictory to that understanding that we get dragged back into this aloneness, this alienation. 
it's funny, the word alone, if we separate it, becomes all one. Mm -hmm. And we could talk a bit about how, I mean, the, you were talking about pronouns. The very fact that the verb separates the subject from the object, even our sentence structure suggests that we are not that. And there is an exercise in Eastern philosophy where you go around saying, I am that, and that, and that. Yeah, and because that. we are. I mean, yeah. we are. But we have to remind ourselves of that. Even if we know it, understanding it seems to be a process or a practice. Wouldn't you agree? I do agree. And I will say that even, even I was guilty of this was, you know, when I'm working with my clients, I knew this, right? So I talk about it and I say we are connected. Yet when I was living my own life outside of working with my clients, I was still living in this separate of I need, I want, you know, and, and all about me and my life, right? When now what I'm doing is I'm staying conscious. It's not easy to move into this integration of what I once was. Interesting. I'm moving back to what I once was and moving back to uh, I am connected to everything. And when I speak about I, I am talking about source because that's what I am. And I was I was mentioning this to a friend of mine the other day and and we sort of chuckled at the end when I said, you know, once upon a time to say the, a statement like, oh, my God, people would say that's blasphemous. That's taking the God's name in vain. But what I'm suggesting is, oh, I'm God. And because we are, it's not separate from us. It's connected to us. So we can't say that we are connected and not realize that we can say that statement and it's not blasphemous. It's true. So not to jump to the end, but I guess that in a sense is what I'm doing what are we for? What are we supposed to do with this realization? Why why would the one create the many, that old mystical riddle? Why does unity create diversity? I love that piece. I love that piece. So imagine, and I'm going to go back to a little bit of a separation here. So imagine watching a, ma a mouse in a maze. And that mouse is living its experience, whatever that maze is for. And they're, watch, they're, they're watching the mouse move around in the maze and it's doing something and that feeds information, that brings back information, right? So taking it back to people now, if I was to bite into an apple, I would have an experience in that and I would be sharing that experience, whether in my thoughts or whatever, but I'm sharing it. And then you take a bite of an apple and you share your thoughts about it and somebody else takes a bite of an apple and millions of people take a bite of an apple and they share that experience. And all of that experience is now fed up into what we call the collective or the one consciousness. And when it's fed up into that, that energy, that information is energy. And that energy now is expanding the universe. So our job is to experience and feed information into that collective so that we can then expand the universe and just keep doing that, but at the same time raising our vibration and frequency so we can become better and more connected. The only thing that really connects us or disconnects us, I think, is number one, the, the, you know, the human curse of forgetting when we're born, but also the ego. And I don't mean the ego that always beats up on us all the time. It's, I mean, it's the same ego, but it might, even in my case, it looks at it and goes, oh, that's a great concept. That's a really interesting thing. But it doesn't 
allow me if I, if I don't take control of it to completely step into it. That was there to keep us here. So how do we overcome that? How do we overcome that ego? Because if we took the ego out of the equation, it would be very easy for us to remember. People often equate purpose with meaning. The purpose of life, the meaning of life, as if they're synonyms. I think meaning is really personal. Uh, the way we live our lives and what's important to us. What do we care about? Right. But perhaps purpose is universal. Yes. And if it were, would it be growth, evolution, unfoldment? Well, of course. I mean, think about it. You said something about meaning there, and I just want to add something to that, and then I'm going to move on to this. Meaning. People look for life to bring them meaning. You know, what's happening outside of them, you know, their experiences to bring them meaning. And that's not what happens. It's it's not outside of you. It's you have to bring meaning to your life, to your experience. That's where it needs to come from. Now, when it comes to purpose, if you think of all the people who are trying to contribute to humanity, think of it doesn't matter how they're doing it. We all have the same purpose. At the end of the day, the end game is the same. It's to raise vibration, raise frequency, bring people to better versions of themselves. So I'm, I'm going to throw a word out here that's kind of new, I think. And it's there's awakened. And then I think there's pre-awakened. And pre-awakened are those people who are waking up, but they still talk about their purpose as my purpose, my path. It's not their purpose and their path. It's the ultimate purpose and path. You can only become awakened when you know that you're not just doing it. You're not the only one who's got on this purpose and path. We all are. I have a friend who does a podcast about business. Mm -hmm. And the other day he was talking with a entrepreneur about the fact that they did not need to make billions of dollars. And they were sort of congratulating each other for their values. You know, I don't need a billion dollars and, and isn't that odd? You know, aren't we unique that we don't care about that? And I started thinking, have you people forgotten that there are millions and millions of women and men who decided to become, oh, let's say school teachers, not because they were going to get rich from <laughs> barely make a living, you know, and right. in America, we have school teachers that live out of their cars and yet wow. use their own money to buy pencils for their kids. So dedicated, so devoted are they? How many nurses could have been doctors? They're intelligent enough. They had the resources, but instead they chose a more hands-on personal and intimate relationship as a nurse, knowing they we're never going to get wealthy, you know, and live in a mansion and drive a fancy car by being a nurse. But they were devoted. There were other reasons that these people decide to be, uh, again, not for lack of opportunity. There are people who just never are able to gather together the economic or academic resources. But many people have that, and yet they choose to be of service. Because that's our ultimate need. Our ultimate need is not food, water. I mean, that's stuff that, you know, we, that's survival. 
our ultimate need is to be able to contribute. You know, contribution is an ultimate need to be able to say, you know, even if it's to leave a legacy of some kind, but to be able to contribute to help people. Ultimately, that's where we want to be. Let's talk more about that, the nature of caring. Why do we care? Why does it even matter? Why do we care? You encountered an, an, an injured animal. You immediately want to help. You, it's not even your animal. Why did the guy turn against his better judgment and run into the burning building to save a kitten that wasn't even his? Because we're connected. Because we're connected. I think some people lose the, not lose the connection, but turn their back on it. Um, but others, like you said, the people living out of their car, the nurses, the one thing that happens though, so unfortunately over time with many of them is they, they forget their why. They get so caught up in what they're doing every day that they forget why they're doing it. They forget what motivated them to choose this to choose to be of service. Instead, they're worried about the politics of working in the hospital or what am I not getting being a teacher? And But they're not thinking about, I chose this. I chose this and this is my real reason why. And it's not that superficial reason that we first think it is. It's going deeper than that. When I speak to people and I ask them, why do you do that? You know, why do you want that goal? Why, do, why does that speak to you? They will instantly come back with something. But then I start asking them like, okay, so why is that important to you? And then they'll give me another reason and I'll say, okay, okay, well, why is that important to you? And I'll take them down and down, usually about, about seven levels of, well, okay, well, why is that important to you? Because at some point it drops out of their brain space into their heart space. And now there's like this thud and it usually brings in some kind of like emotion from them. And it's like, now you're talking about what your motivation is, not that other thing. Yeah. This is it. The real reason is beyond reason. Yes. <laughs> Aisha Hogan, my guest, will be back with more. You're listening to The Ageless Wisdom on KPFK. KPFK celebrates Women and Women's History Month. Many young people think that the revolution began when they woke up. Maya Angelou, circa 1977. In the 19th century and in the 18th century, there were white American women who were involved in the struggle against slavery, who were serious. Unfortunately for us all, their names for the most part have been lost on the sands of time. Unfortunately, I feel belittled because I'm not able to tip my heart and my hat to those women who risked and sometimes lost their lives in the Underground Railroad movement. Not because they loved blacks, but because they loved truth. They loved truth more than life. And because of those women, we are all here today. Happy Women's History Month from KPFK. KPFK is listener-sponsored radio, which you can support at kpfk.org. KPFK on your radio at 90.7. We stream for the world through the Internet at kpfk.org. And these programs are all podcasts at the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. 
the current episode of this stream, you can hear at theagelesswisdom.com. My guest today, Aisha Hogan, and I are talking about identity, really. Uh, Who are we? And what do we mean by self? Sometimes when people talk about being self-centered or the higher self, it sounds like maybe we need to consider what we mean by self. How do you resolve that personally in your own mind? What does the word self mean to you, Aisha? Okay. That there is no self. There is only mastery. And when I say that, we're here as an experience, as we talked about a little bit earlier. But, you know, I, I have an academy. You know, the, it's about universal self-mastery. But there is no self. Because self means that we're separate. Self means that we are separate from each other. And that I am separate from you. But I'm not. I am you. And you are me. And I am that mountain. And I am, you know, that carrot. And on all of those things, we are connected to everything. And in actuality, there is no self. There's only mastering this experience and mastering the ability to step into it and understand your limitlessness. And that therein lies the challenge because most of us feel so limited. But the more you connect to the universal I, the source I, and understand that there is no self, the more powerful you actually begin to feel, the more connected that you feel. Does that answer your question? Yeah, but I always hesitate to use the word but when you (laughs) reveal such wisdom. I mean, the finger is not the body, but it has value. Oh, yes. You know, I'm a guitar player. I'm, I'm well acquainted with the difference between each of my fingers. Each serves a different role. And the thumb, good Lord, what would we do without the precious thumb? But but that finger would not be able to live by itself without you. Indeed. But both things are true. I mean, what it, what would be the higher self if there is no self? You know, I've thought about this recently because I talk about the higher self as, as well. But I think I always thought about the higher self almost like I'm a very visual person. So... You know, one of the things that I teach is past life regression. And I haven't taught it in the last year just because past life regression is not resonating with me anymore. It's almost like other life intention um, rather than past life regression because there is no time. So when I think about higher self, I always, when I even explain it to my students, I think of it like an octopus. Like there's this octopus head and then there's all these tentacles that are going into these alternate intentions. But now I, I, now I think, was I thinking too small? Is there really a higher self or is there only the one? And that thing that we're connecting to that we think is higher self is not in fact higher self, but the creator. I had a teacher years ago who would repeatedly use the bar magnet as an allegory. And I really liked it because she would talk about the polarities of the North Pole and the South Pole and that, you know, when we use the word polarized, for example, we're often talking about what sounds like or what appears to be opposites. And yet she would hasten to add there is a third element. There is a center 
there is the magnetic field that unifies this appearance of opposites into one whole thing. Right. And when we talk about, well, what is it, Aisha? A single source, a unified universe or cosmos, or all of these separate individuals. Well, it's it's both. It's spirit and matter. It's both. And I think that even universe has its, like there has to be yin and yang and everything, right? Right. You know, even in the universe, there is light and there is shadow. And without it, you know, it, you know, people always say, I want to get rid of all my shadows. I'm like, you can't, you need those. Like you wouldn't be able to make a decision without them, right? So you wouldn't be able to carry out anything without them. You need them. And it's the same with the universe. Like we have to have light and shadow and we have to have positive and negative in the energy. And when I say negative, it doesn't necessarily mean like horrific things. It's just positive and negative charged energy. And, you know, when you think of quantum physics. So at the same time, if you think about, I'm going to use a term here just because everybody can relate to this. So let's say I talk about Lucifer. Maybe that's just a shadow. That's part of the shadow. And it's necessary. And people show people in our own in our own subpersonalities, we all have so many subpersonalities. And in those subpersonalities, we choose which ones are going to be our primary. You know, we choose, am I going to be really generous or am I going to be super greedy? You know, so we choose which is are going to be our primary personality traits. And, but in source, there has to be, they all have to be there for them to exist in us. This, for me anyway, is one of the appealing aspects of Eastern philosophy. Take the god or goddess Kali, for example. Uh, we think of death as the end of things in the West, but Kali is sometimes called the destroyer, but more often the dissolver. And it's seen as part of the necessary cycle. How could there be birth without death? How could we have spring and summer without fall and winter? How can you be selfless without the contradiction of the other side of being selfish? And out of this duality, we get gender, but, and there is electromagnetic polarity, as you said, the yin and the yang of things, the attraction and repulsion. And yet, to go no further and to fail to see the ultimate unification of all of this is, I think, behind the trap of binary thinking, which has always been a pet peeve of mine, uh, trying to live in a world where so many people want life to be true or false, everything or nothing, either this or that. Well, that's how we've been conditioned, though. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that it's true that way. I think of a book, like I've just finished reading, well, I've read a million times over, a book by Don Miguel Ruiz that's called The Mastery of Love. And when I finished that book, it's a very simple book. I don't know if people know The Four Agreements, but it's one of, you know, one of those books that he has. And when I finished that book, I remember sitting back and going, wow, as humanity, are we ever living but backwards when it comes to loving people? We're doing it all wrong when it's so simple. It's so simple. We make it so hard. And the book was almost like an epiphany to me. And everyone I give it to is like, oh my God. And all of a sudden their relationships become better. And it's because we're looking for things outside of ourselves when we already have it inside. And it's the same thing with this. 
You know, we're looking for instant gratification. We're looking for material things. We're looking for this. We're looking for that. We're looking for the next best thing that everyone's telling us that we have to have to be good and to be a powerful person or to be a leader or to be an influencer. You must do this, this, and this, and this, and this. When we already have all those things, we already have what we need. And it's so much more simple than that because we've seen people look at celebrities. They have everything. They have everything and how many of them end up ending their own lives because there's no fulfillment. It's all from the outside. There's nothing inside. I've been married to a very beautiful, very attractive woman for 25 plus years. But I must tell you that what I found most attractive about her was her giving nature. Nice. And she would always find something to give. Uh, she would gather up flowers and give them to her neighbors. Uh, when the lemons came in on her lemon tree, she'd get this big basket and go around to the neighbors. And uh, I mean, she didn't even say, hey, if you need lemons, come on by. She was on their porch with the basket giving away the lemons. And I didn't really need to ask her why she was doing that because she radiated. She would come home with this glowing, peaceful, serene sense of fulfillment that was just so impressive. That's beautiful. I wanted to be part of that, you know. And when you give, there's no need to concern yourself with receiving. Exactly. Because you can't give with expectation. Expectation is always going to lead to disappointment. So give, and if, if you get something back, yay. And it may not even come back from that same person. So I spend a lot of time contributing things and I don't always get it back from the same people I contribute to. It comes from somewhere else sometimes. Yeah, these are the lessons of uh, generosity and gratitude and appreciation. And when you truly let go of something and give it without a need, even for appreciation or gratitude. I mean, a lot of people think of themselves, I guess I'm revealing my own mental head trips on this, uh, finding that I was giving, but I still needed to be appreciated. I still wanted somebody to thank me and recognize me as generous. And in time, I thought, well, then then you're not really giving, are you, Michael? You're, no. It's some sort of trade-out or swap that you're doing. What if you didn't even need to be appreciated? Or No. And then I remembered these admonitions from various holy books and philosophies about giving anonymously. And I thought, oh, that, and Christ talks about uh, not praying in public or, or not giving alms in public is some grand gesture of what a generous person you are, you know, but to be humble about that, not make a show of it, because then you're really undoing any benefit that you, that right. might accrue. Right. You just have to do it to do it. And, you know, I, my father used to say to me when I was a, a kid, and I always think that I always at first when I was I always thought it was negative, you know, negative. He's saying something negative to me. Why is he trying to teach me that? And he would say, give. How was it? It was give everything as that you want. Expect nothing. Expect nothing. And I thought, what do you mean giving and expect nothing? What do you mean give and expect nothing? And. It wasn't until I finally started doing my own work and after my father died when I was in my 40s, when I finally got it and it clicked in my head, 
where I was like, expect nothing and you will never be disappointed. And part of loving yourself, that was a huge thing I had to learn how to do was love myself in this experience. Because you know when people say they don't love themselves? Here's one for you. When people say they don't love themselves, they don't trust themselves. But they believe in the higher power. That is the biggest oxymoron. How can you love, let's say God, how can you love source, love God, trust God, love God, but not love yourself? Well, that's the issue I have with prayers of petition. As if God were Santa Claus, you don't have anything. Uh, this is a misinterpretation of spirituality, I think, and the personification of deity and form. But uh, God, give me this, give me that. Uh, even grant me serenity and such. That reinforces this idea of separateness. Right. But there is a quality of prayer or contemplation where you immerse yourself in the unity of things, reorient yourself and say, I am source. And the universe knows what it's doing. We don't really need to micromanage things. No, we don't have to micromanage. And, you know, if you're looking for serenity, I think of it looking like a like for a set of car keys. Like, you know what I mean? I, I own my car. It's mine. And sometimes I lose my keys. And I have to go around and I got to search for them. And it's like that. You know, it's like, oh, I need to find my serenity. I know I have it. I just got to go find it. Like it's instead of God grant it to me. Well, since I'm already part of God, why am I asking myself for this? I got to go find it. Right. So sometimes it's just you've misplaced it. You just got to go get it. You got to remember where you put it. And it all comes again back to the remembering. You just got to remember where you put it. It's it's there. You just have to reach in and grab it. It may seem like a minor point, but I think this is huge. I think it's really big. Now, speaking of giving, you have a project that you have created that is really the means by which I know of you, and that's your international uh, academy, your online academy of women and men who are teachers and healers and facilitators of development. Why don't you talk a little about that? Okay. Well, at first I was just, you know, working in my own practice. I have my own practice, the Chakra House of Healing, where I help a lot of people. And then when, when pandemic came, I actually went into a meditation. I slipped into a meditation like I always do. And this time I felt myself getting a huge message. I'm not going to get into all the logistics around it because it'll take me too long, but basically telling me that I had to start this academy. And I thought at first when I came out of the meditation that it was going to be brick and mortar. And I remember thinking, how am I going to do that? Like, I remember looking at my ceiling going, do you know that we're in the middle of a pandemic? Like, how am I supposed to do that? And before I knew it, the the signs were coming and they were coming big. And it was just, okay, oh, this is going to be online. And before I knew it, I was registering and, and, and collaborating with other faculty. I didn't even have a website yet. I didn't even have anything built yet. And people were coming in and I don't know whether it would have worked before pandemic, because I think people were so caught up in their own empires, their own businesses, that it was only after pandemic where we feel like it took pandemic to unify us. Like it was, it's crazy. So where they're now thinking about collaboration. And I think that a lot of people have been asking for this. I know I was um, over the years and here was our answer. And now, you know, I'm over 75 faculty now and 
We have over a hundred courses and it's a complete community. So it's not just a learning platform. It's not where you come and you take a course. It's also where you come and you're a part of something. You're a part of a community. And um, we've just recently really opened up. I mean, we've been open, but I haven't really put it out there yet the way I wanted to because I've been working on, you know, tech stuff. But we're really going to be focusing more on more on this mindset. So where people have to understand or need to understand or perhaps stretch their memory and say, listen, I want to get into that. I want to remember who I am. I want to work as a unified force. I want to... um I want to be better. I want to collaborate. I want to contribute. I want to be better. And this is a place where you can find all of those teachers and those leaders and those mentors and the people with passion that want to help you get there. And you don't have to go look for them. They're all under the same virtual roof. And you're not talking about a dozen or or two dozen teachers. You're talking about hundreds of teachers and healers. And Eventually, we will be over 500. Um, I don't know how I know that. I just do. Um, we will be over 500. We're at 75 now. And the only reason we, we started off with 100, just over 100, 120 teachers. And the reason we've split, slipped back to 75 is I'll tell you why. Because people do not know and understand being one yet. So they slip back into their separateness because they understand separation. They understand it's familiar. The unknown is frightening. So being a part of a community for them is a concept, but it's scary. So that's, you know, I'm going to come into this and I'm, and it's not like they don't have their own businesses. They do, but they don't know how to make it work as one. Right. And that's, it's a trick, but the trick becomes just remembering who you are and everything is connected and it's all going to work out fine. But it's that conditioning of being separate. Yeah, that's the dilemma in networking where you, you join a business network to get referrals for other people. And yet you find 80% of those people are really there for the referrals they can receive rather than <laughs> the referrals that yeah. they pass on. And it's a, it's a quality of fear and anxiety. It's a holding on. It's a clutching. It's that dilemma we face in so many areas of our life. And it's where are they in their healing journey? Yeah, oddly, we often call it uh, being stuck, but we're really holding on. Exactly. We're white knuckling stuff. Like we hold on to it and we're just like, why won't you just let it go? Like open up your hands. It feels good when you stop white knuckling. Like it feels good when you can stretch your fingers out, right? So it's let it go because if it's meant to be, it'll be there for you. It's not going anywhere, you know, and if it's not meant to be, then maybe it's making space for something else. So this is the International Academy of Universal Self-Mastery. Yes, I awesome. I awesome. Uh, <laughs> so that is our, uh, that's our acronym, which is I-A-U-S-M. So I awesome. And um, it sort of showed up. That's how we find it online is? Yes, I-A-U-S-M dot com. Okay. And how can folks find out more about you? Since oh. everybody's online, you're as close as... Far away, none of that matters. <laughs> so, yes, I work one-on-one -on -one with people who want to really work and get into this space, whether they're in depression, usually trauma, uh, even fibromyalgia is a big one that I'm working on with people because they've just gone so far that it's really starting to resonate in their body and in their energy. So 
I work at the Chakra House of Healing. That's what I own, the chakrahouseofhealing.com. And that's my practice where I work one-on-one with people and um, really help them to understand who they are, what they are, and um, what they can do. And the minute they get there, you know, we don't spend a lot of time sitting down and talking about, and then what happened in your life? And then what happened? And how did that make you feel? And we just, we don't, I don't spend a lot of time with that. Um, because that happened and we can't change it. And that was part of the experience. So here's something I'm going to tell you people that have gone through stuff in your life. Imagine, remember we talked about earlier about experience expanding that knowledge, expanding the universe. Everything you've been through, everything that you have been through has been to contribute to the expansion of the universe. That's pretty cool. And it is expanding, and scientists haven't figured it out. It should be slowing down <laughs> at some point, you know. Why? L- laws of physics and inertia, but it's not. It's, and in fact, not only is the universe expanding, the rate at which it's expanding is accelerating. It's right, because we, we forget that, you know, we're not the only life form in this universe. So there's knowledge and everything from all kinds of places that's, that's feeding And we are part of all of that. Like we are part of all of that. And if we could think more like a mountain, you know, a mountain is a being. A mountain has energy. Therefore, it has consciousness. Might not be like ours, but it has a a consciousness. And a mountain doesn't say, you know, look how I'm not big enough yet. I'm not powerful enough yet. You know, it's just understands that it's connected. It already knows that it's connected to everything. There is that knowing that that remembering that it has for for many, many years. So is it smarter than we are? I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) The opening of this program every week includes the statement that it's about consciousness, the fundamental nature of reality. Mm -hmm. Nothing stands outside consciousness. And to consider in its own way, even inanimate objects, as you say, the mountain, the river, the sky, they have to. There is nothing else. Yeah. There's energy. And if there's no energy there, it doesn't exist. And inside energy, there is that consciousness. It's there. Yeah, everywhere. Aisha Hogan, my guest today on the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Aisha, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. I always love talking about this. You're very welcome. And uh, we'll do it again, I'm sure. It's nice yes. getting to know you and know more about you and, and learn from you. And uh, again, the best way to get a hold of you online? The best way to get a hold of me online is is um, either through, if you, to email me, it's, it's Aisha at iawesome.com. That's so easy to remember. So Aisha at iawesome, I-A-U-S-M.com. Whether it is that you want to be a teacher and find out about the academy and how you can teach, whether it's you've got questions about being a student, or whether you're looking for help, you know, for you individually, um, I'm there for you in all kinds of ways. I just want to mention one really quick thing, if I can. Sure. All right. We are right now, it just got launched this week. We are collaborating on a book. You might be interested, uh, Mike. Um, it's called From Bottom to Top. And it's a hundred teacher, or sorry, a hundred, we're looking for a hundred authors in total. And this is about you speaking about your experience where you've transformed, where you felt like you were at some kind of bottom and you've transformed your story. And what we want to do with this is a hundred different stories of a hundred different kinds of transformations. And these are meant to inspire people. These are meant to help people get unstuck. 
It's meant to lower the rates of suicide that are crazy right now to let people know that there are other options. So from bottom to top, if you want to know about that too, reach out to me because right now we've just, like I said, we've just opened it up a couple of days ago and we are looking for 100 teachers. Or sorry, authors, authors, 100 authors. Thanks, Aisha. We got to run. We're all out of time. Thanks for being with us. And thank you for listening again this week to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Make it a habit every Tuesday at 1 o'clock California time. Streaming for the world at kpfk.org at 20 hours universal. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner on KPFK, Los Angeles.